0: This podcast is brought to you by Meteorite.
1: Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel, conversations from the frontline, a podcast and live show for survivors and the leaders who support them. I'm your host, Kelly Humphreys, a survivor of child sexual abuse, advocate, author, speaker, ambassador, a lover of all things outdoors with over 15 years of law enforcement experience. Please support me in my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma. You can help by donating to my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. Hello guys and welcome to Off the Cuff with Cal. Um, we've just got a little technical issue there with the introduction, but um, we are here. We are live. I'm so excited. I've got the most amazing group of people with me uh, today. If you didn't get it, I'm Kelly Humphreys. I'm an author, speaker, and survivor of child sexual abuse. It's my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma by having robust, wild, crazy, off-the-cuff conversations with people who are doing the hard yards and the work. So I'm here with the amazing team from Alex. So that's the Artificial Intelligence Law Enforcement and Community Safety Team from Monash University. Welcome, guys, to Off the Cuff with Kel.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you. you. Thanks, Greg. we have got
1: Campbell. And Dr. Nina, um, amazing professionals in what they do. Um, if you do know, so look, we'll just do a little, little backtrack. For those of you who don't know, so obviously I'm a police officer. I've got 16 years of experience in the service. And as you know, I've been doing that uh, for quite some time. And just recently I have resigned uh, my role and I've landed in the wonderful world of the Alex Lab with these incredible humans. Um, and we're and thrilled to have you. Oh, thank you, Nina. Thank you so much. Um, I, I'm i so humbled by, um, I'm, I'm surrounded by the most amazing knowledge and expertise and professionalism and I'm just learning so much. So it's such an honour to be uh, working in this space and also protecting kids and doing what I'm really passionate about. So. I really wanted you guys to jump on today because I know you guys have got the campaign for My Pictures Matter and um, the more I learn about machine learning and artificial intelligence, or I can't say – the, the more I'm like, we, we've got to be doing this. We've got to be um, protecting our kids and doing all we can to make work easier for those who are doing it. So I guess I just want to hand it over to you guys. If you could just introduce yourselves and then we'll go in a bit about what the lab's about, all about and get into some of my pictures matter stuff. So I'll hand over to you, Campbell, if you want to talk about what Alex does. That'd be great.
3: Um, sure, yeah. Uh, so I'm Campbell, yeah, I'm the co director of the Alex lab. Um, would you like me to talk about the lab now or do other intros? Yeah, no,
1: you can start, off, start off with the with yeah, lab. Okay. And, okay. And,
3: uh, yeah, okay. Okay. So I'll give you, the, give you the quick history of the Alex lab because it's an interesting one. Um, so around about 20. Fifteen, um, an AFP officer came to me at Monash University saying that he wanted to do his PhD. Um, his name's Janus Dellens, AFP officer from uh, digital forensics. So at that time, he was in an area within the AFP that was doing a lot of work on countering child exploitation online. Um, he came to me because he he'd done a masters in IT at Monash and and was interested in the IT field. He works in IT and this is a bit of a nerd, Yanis actually, and he's really, really interested in the technology. And he came to me wanting to do the PhD and initially he said, um, you know, I want to keep my work life and my PhD life separate um, and I can understand why he'd want to do that given the area that he works in in his day job. Um, So we started off doing something in IT, it was around social media and characterizing how news spreads on social media, but ultimately um, we realized that there was a lot more value in him trying to, um, I guess, apply more of the AI machine learning research in the IT faculty here at Monash to the sort of work that he's doing in his day job at the AFP. So he, then sort of pivoted in his research. And we started looking together at how we can use uh, machine learning image classification algorithms in particular to try and triage child exploitation material. Um, So trying to, um, I guess, help investigators sift through that material and locate material more more quickly using machine learning. Uh, During that time, uh, as that was being developed and Yanis was doing his PhD, his uh, management at the AFP started to realise, I think, the value of um, really quickly operationalizing that sort of research into practice in the AFP because that sort of technology um, has a huge potential to make a difference. Um, and as you said at the start, Cal, you know, AI is not going anywhere and it's just getting bigger and bigger and it's everywhere. Um, and unfortunately, it's a large part of the um, you know, the the spread of online child exploitation, and it's technology facilitated in many ways. So using technology to fight fire with fire is very valuable. So his management, I think, started to see that value. They approached Monash, the AFP approached Monash and said, hey, can we do something together? Can we formalise this collaboration a little bit more? That's where the Alex Lab was born. Um, since then, we've expanded, got fantastic people on board, such as Greg and Nina and yourself, Kelly, um, and we're mm-hmm. now in our, uh, uh, what is it, 2023, we're now in our fourth year of formal operation. so I formally commenced in 2019. Um, child exploitation and countering child exploitation, that is with technology, is a passion project for us in the lab. It's really what gets a lot of us up in the morning. Um, so continuing continuing that development of technology, along with a few other things in the lab as well. But that's that's the real potted history, I guess, to, to get us started.
1: That's, yeah, a pretty good wrap up, I think. Um, so uh, Nina and Greg, if you just want to talk about, a little bit about who you are, um, and then whoever wants to introduce the My Pictures Matter project, it'd be great.
0: <laughs> sure. Um, thanks, Bill. I'm Nina Lewis. I'm a research fellow at Alex. I joined the lab, oh, towards the end of 2021 and on and off been there ever since. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, And one of the roles I have at the lab is as the project coordinator for my pictures matter. And my pictures matter was, is part of my broader role, I guess at the center where I'm a stream lead for ethics, transparency and community voice. So one of the things we're looking at is machine learning takes a lot of data and, sometimes it can be easy not to think too much about where the data comes from. And so we're very concerned with trying to contribute to creating ethically sourced um, responsible data sets for use in machine learning. And so with My Pictures Matter, we're looking at how do we um, compile a data set that contains images of children, but that are acquired with the knowledge and consent of the people who are depicted in those images and um, obviously asking for consent directly from children is is a complex area and very fraught um, so the solution we came up with is why don't we ask adults to contribute photographs that show themselves as children and that way they're able to make um, an informed decision about do i want to share my my childhood photos with this project to help fight um child abuse to develop technologies that can that can really help in this in this massive problem so, that's kind of a very brief summary of how My Pictures Matter, um, the campaign to, to ask people to share their photos, came about. So, I'll hand over to Greg, who's also done a lot of the uh, technical um, systems based stuff behind the My Pictures Matter project, as long as, as well as a whole lot of discussions around the ethics as well.
2: Yeah, so I'm, I'm Greg. I've been with the lab since about 2019, oh, 2020. Um, I I wear a couple of hats. I I'm a technical guy, so I build stuff, um, but I'm also um, uh, really interested in um, the way information works in society. And so I'm um, with with Nina. We, we think a lot about information, information privacy, and consent about of information and that kind of thing. So. Um, we were batting around. Um, we can get into this in, the, in a minute, but um, you know, the sorts of tools that Campbell's talking about for to build a, a machine learning model that can actually identify child sexual abuse material needs a lot of data, and um, uh, and most of the data that's used to build AI, in the industry is pretty much scraped off the web. And we don't think that there's all sorts of problems with that. And, again, we can go into great detail about all of that. So we were sitting around and, and decided that what we should do is be asking people for for you know, images of themselves as children, as Nina said, um, and be a, a world first um, in trying to create large data sets for machine learning um, in a consentful kind of way. So Nina and I, you know, designed this thing. I built it. Um, Campbell paid for it. We launched it and and it's off and running and and going strength to strength and um, we're slowly collecting the data we need. We've got a a long way to go but um, the system works and um, it's going well.
1: So when you say, just to be clear, because there's a, a, a lot of people I think don't really even grasp the concept of what we're talking about. So when you say scrape something off the internet, what what do you, can you just explain that a little bit more so we understand where you're coming from?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so the thing about machine learning is it needs lots of the things you're trying to teach it, right? So we're trying to teach this this particular model. We're trying to get it to recognise instances where there are pictures of where there's children in the picture and when the and sexual activity in the picture. Um, so for that we need lots of images of children and lots of images of sexual activity. And with My Pictures Matter is focusing on the children aspect. So just about everybody else in the world that does this goes and grabs pictures of children in they go to Google and say, you know, photo of kids and they you know Google returns lots of photos of kids and they download them and they go to Facebook and download lots of photos of kids and they go to Flickr and they go to their Insta and all all of that kind of stuff. So they're scouring the web looking for the images that they need to build their their model. And we're talking about um, thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands of of, of images. But the problem with that, of course, is that no one has given permission for their photo that they've put on the web um, to be used in this kind of way. And in particular, if you're going to look at things like photos on, say, I don't know, Facebook, um, I might be in a photo that somebody puts up that I don't even know is there and it, it's used for the stuff. So we wanted to avoid that totally and actually try and directly source the images that, that, that we use rather than go off and grab um, Images that happen to be lying around the internet um, that people may or may not know are there, and that people definitely haven't given permission to be used for this project.
0: And the other, um, I just add to, to what Greg's saying that another really we hope important um, aspect of doing it this way is that you know child sexual abuse is a problem that is very confronting for people and very difficult for people to know well what can I do about this so we're also giving people an opportunity to say here's something really small really simple that you can do to make a difference share a photo one of your childhood photos or share half a dozen of your childhood photos Um, so it's 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 twofold it's it's helping us create a responsibly sourced data set but it's also giving people a concrete action that they can take to do something.
1: So, so why why do we need to do this? Why, why is it such well, a, an important yeah, thing
0: well, right so Sorry, yeah, why do we need to do this? Uh, that's a great question, Kel. So there's a lot of existing, there's very effective um, existing tools that can at scale be run over, you know, large caches of images, hard drives, whatever might be being scanned and can identify um, child sexual abuse material that has already been identified, verified and is known to police. Um, Where there's a bit of a gap in the technology is in recognising child sexual abuse material that hasn't been previously um, known and verified to police. And that new material is obviously really, really important to to find because potentially those are children depicted in that content who are, s- are still in situations of danger and abuse. So we're targeting that that part of the problem. How, how do we discover content that hasn't actually been found before if, for example, um, a hard drive from a suspected offender is seized or potentially to run over... Um, an online platform, you know, so that it's it's targeting a slightly different area of the problem. So can, um, maybe Campbell or Greg can speak a little bit more to that.
3: Yeah, I think a, a question a lot of people have, I think, is you know how does a how does a picture of Greg at five years old um, help in detecting child abuse material? Um, the answer is what Greg was sort of alluding to before is that um, the way that machine learning works is that it looks for, um, it learns features in images that it, that it can um, that it can use to recognize whether or not an image is of a particular class of something. So if you're thinking about how an algorithm works to identify whether an image is potentially an abusive image of a child, it needs to identify certain features of, of those images. And one of those features is the presence of a child. Um, So as um, I think Greg talked about before, this is just one part of a broader picture here. So we're trying to get the machine to learn features of images which indicate the presence of a child. And to do that, we need lots of images of children. That's not all we need, though. We need lots of other sorts of images to recognise those other features that are likely to make the image not a benign image of a child, but an abusive image of a child and those sorts of features will come from other data sets that we're um, that we're working on also ethically curating as well. Um, and I think um, it, it's a really interesting conversation to have around this and, and to explain the technology because this sort of technology is around us everywhere and the more people um, sort of get to know about how this technology works, the, the better. And that's I guess that's another side effect of these sorts of projects where we're trying to bring the community along with crowdsourcing the training data of these projects is to a bit more literacy about how some of this technology works because um, unfortunately in the child exploitation uh, you know, area, this technology is increasingly being used to, to generate this material as well. maybe that's something we can talk about um, as we go along as well.
2: Um, and one of the other dimensions about why this is important, I mean, there's there's two reasons. One is there's a lot of stuff. There are millions of images out mm-hmm. there, and um, and you think about your your PC. If I wanted to look at every phone, every every photo on your phone or PC, there's going to be thousands on there, right? And um, in order to help law enforcement actually figure out whether there's abusive material or not. It takes a long time to examine every photo and, and say you know is this is this an illegal image or not um, so one of the things that the, this technology does is, is speed up investigation so you run this thing over a huge collection which could be someone's pc or laptop or it could be a, a dark website or um uh you know some sort of collection and much quicker than a, a, a human can do. This can tell us whether there's actually um, bad stuff on there um, that hasn't been seen before, which is what Nina was talking about. The other thing is that it actually takes a toll on on the police officers that have to look at this stuff. So if um, an automated tool can actually, um, and it's what um, Campbell was talking about, this triaging thing before, if an automated tool can actually um, without a human having to look at it, zoom through the stuff, say, yes, there's something bad there, then you can actually then take that into a, you know, a, a particular process and quarantine situation and, and drill down on, into what, what's actually there, rather than force um, a, a law enforcement officer to actually you know, examine photo by photo of, of horrible stuff of you know, what, what's actually there. So it's this sorting into what's important, and then and then the police officer can step in and then do the investigation or, or whatever. Mm. Not it's not replacing humans, but it's actually just speeding up the process and and um, and, and saving some exposure to this this material.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I've been looking at a lot of research today um, for for the other project that we're working on, <laughs> and the numbers that. I'm seeing, I mean, I don't even know that we can actually predict really how many images are out there, like of, of children that we just don't know have been harmed, that are, that are still vulnerable, that are still, you know, being abused. and And we're not keeping up with the technology that offenders are using to commit the offences against these children. So I guess how soon would this sort of be available to law enforcement is it being used already or what's what's the current kind of scenario
3: Um, so yeah so there's a lot of teams around the world working on this sort of technology we're by no means the the only team working on this although we do think that our approach to curating the training data is somewhat unique Um, there are many tools available right now Um, the large tech companies do have tools that can scan their platforms for, um, for CSAM, including for new CSAM. So there is, there is um, technology out there to do that. Um, it, that technology as to how it's used in law enforcement is something you'd have to talk with, with the law enforcement agencies directly. Um, but there is technology out there, but it's, it's um, by no means perfect. I mean, this is really, really hard. This is a really hard problem a really hard algorithmic problem to try and identify this material um, so we're, we're just a small cog I guess in the in the big in the big wheel of the development of this technology as a whole there are tools out there but but it's a, it's an area of um, lots of research and development and
1: so I think there's some big concerns around Um, privacy and those types of things when people Mm -hmm. are submitting their images. So I know, Nina, when I watched you um, down at the AFP in Melbourne, you were just so articulate uh, with with the press conference there, but I know it was one of the questions thrown around um, in in that scenario there. So can you just talk a bit about how uh, the the privacy kind of goes when you're submitting your images in relation to this project?
0: Yeah, look, absolutely, Keld, and that's fantastic. And we we want people to be concerned about their privacy. You know, I think it's it's important that people do stop and think about, oh, hang on, what am I doing? Do I want to do this? What is this safe to do? Um, so we're taking a, a data minimization approach, essentially, as one of our um, privacy principles. So we're not we're not asking you to share your name. Um, we want the photograph, photograph of you as a child. We ask for a few little bits of information, like the the age um, you're depicted in the image and the location. Um, but other than that, all we're asking people to share is an email address, and that is stored completely separately to the photograph. And the reason, the only reason we're even asking for an email address is to manage consent. So we're collecting people's consent and. By entering the e- your email address, that's essentially your um, equivalent of a digital signature um, and we also need to use that in case people change their mind and want to withdraw photos from the data set because that's also part of our process. So in, in terms of privacy, we're actually we're trying not to collect identifying information beyond the fact that an image is you know, it's 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 a photograph of you, but it's not connected to your name. Um, and you know, we we don't want to collect information about people. We want to preserve people's privacy. The data set itself is um, stored and managed by Monash University. Um, so the for those who don't know, Monash University is one of the the large um, group of eight research focused universities within Australia. Um, so the, the university handles all kinds of um, sensitive research data and has some, you know, robust processes in place around how data is, is stored. Um, you know, no, nothing in this world is foolproof, but um, as, as far as those kinds of systems go, you know, Monash would suffer incredible reputational damage if, you know, there were big <laughs> breaches of research data happening. So both within the project itself, we're very concerned with protecting privacy and um, limiting the, the type of information we're collecting, um, but also more broadly it, it's stored in, um, you know, fairly stringent conditions. And Greg can speak s- some more if he wants to about how he's set up the technology around um, actually collecting the the um, the images and
2: information. Greg. Yeah look sure. I I, uh, I guess, you know, without blowing our trumpet <laughs> too loudly, um, you know, the, the reason, reason we're, right. <laughs> the reason we're here is because we are so concerned about privacy and consent and all of that kind of thing. You know, we um, like I said before, we're one of the few um AI researching organizations that are actually thinking about um, how do we actually collect data in a consentful kind of way? So we're paying a lot of attention to making sure we, as Nina said, we minimize the personal information we collect um, and we, we, you know, store it in a, um, a high security sort of enclave in in, in the Monash space um, and all of that. And uh, yeah, I, I'd also want to say that we recognize that, that um, you know the the act of child abuse itself is 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 a um a, a, a horrible violation of of consent We well, you know kids can't consent and and we don't want to be adding to that right so we 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 absolutely don't want to um uh to you know build systems that further um this violation of privacy consent and that kind of thing and and taking you know, everything we've done to design the system has been. We, Nina and I spent a long time arguing and batting about and whiteboarding and trying going through the process of, you know, how do we make sure that people consent to giving us their stuff, that we keep it safely, that they that people can change their mind, that they can elect to be notified or not notified in the future of how the information is being used, all of that that kind of stuff. So we have this quite extensive process. Um, backed by this this secure um, data storage mechanism um, to to maintain maintain all of this. You know, we're, we're not we're not doing an Optus and keeping you know everything at the kitchen sink and you know um, leave vessels open to to being hacked in that kind of way.
1: Yeah. So how do you predict like once've you've, you've got enough of this, the images that you require, How are you predicting that this is going to be used? What what kind of impact is this going to have? (laughs) (laughs) Nima? Well, I
0: think think Greg's um, covered off on on several of the really important um, places we believe this can have an impact. Um, So one of which is... um, the the well being of police law enforcement officers law enforcement officers who review this content by um, minimizing the amount of content that they might have to deal with um, one way another way that you know we see this having an impact is contributing to an ecosystem of responsible data. Um, Collection and use in machine learning, and and you know, opening up those conversations about um, people being able to know how their data is used, um, where possible to be able to you know give consent for their data to be used, um, and you know it's difficult to do that. This you know this project's moving quite slowly. We're aiming to get one hundred thousand images, and you know I think we're at about. Three thousand five hundred at the moment. You know, it's it's a it's a slow process, um, so it's hard to do this. But what we want to show is that just because something's hard, that doesn't mean you give up before you even attempt it. So you know, we, we want to we want to change some of the the culture within data science that sort of has some, not all, <laughs> not all data scientists. Um, but you know, for some people out there, there's an attitude that. If something is on the internet, it can be, as Greg said, scraped off. It's fair game. Fair game and can be reused. So we want to, you know, push back a bit against that attitude. Um, uh, Obviously, developing technologies, adding to, as Campbell said, the the variety of research projects that are working in this space, the more people who are working to, to develop technologies, um, the more likely we are to more quickly get to a point of, you know, really efficient technologies and, um, you know, different attitudes, different projects, um, all working towards the same goal, you know, it helps you get there faster. Um, I'm sure I've missed many things. <laughs> uh, as as the, the, the opportunity for people to be involved to, to say, Hey, I, I want to make a difference, I want to share my photo. Um, to open those conversations about perhaps, okay, I don't feel comfortable sharing my photo, but maybe what I can do is talk about this campaign, you know, with a young person in my life. Has you know, ask them if someone's asked them to share a photo um, online. Um, a totally different context, but you know, ways to. Um, start conversations with young people, create safe spaces for young people to talk about things that might be going on in their life where they feel uncomfortable or may maybe feel they're not sh- making the right decision or somebody's pushing them to do something they don't want to do um, and basically remove some of the stigma around having those conversations because they're difficult. Like the work of creating responsible data sets, that a lot of these things are difficult and they make us uncomfortable and they challenge us but you know yet you, you have to you have to talk about things and you have to to try and change things um, make the world a better place that's what we're all here to do
1: So, so is there potential obviously so with, with this um, be able to identify victims quicker uh, so law enforcement can obviously um, you know interrupt the offending a lot faster than perhaps if this technology didn't exist.
0: Our specific application is not facial recognition. So we're, we're not looking at a, a facial recognition um, tool. Uh, there are other people who are doing that kind of work. Um, it, it, there are, it, it's the trade-off, I guess, around some of those privacy and consent issues. So, you know, we've got a very specific purpose in mind. And as part of people's use permissions, they can elect to to opt in to be contacted about different uses of the data set. So we haven't, you know, completely shut down the possibility that um, some of these images could have different applications in the future, but they wouldn't be used um, without people giving specific permission for the use that they're um, intended to be put. And the current work is is not victim identification
3: or facial recognition. Mm -hmm
1: moving right. so we... oh, sorry. Go ahead, Campbell.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say. Having said that, I think it, you know, a, a downstream effect of this sort of technology is ultimately the hope is that that more victims are more quickly identified. In that, you can't identify victims of crime until you until you find the the evidence in the first place and surface the the images and the videos. So, anything that can help those investigations be sped up ultimately should, um, we hope, identify victims more quickly. If if not through the technology we're developing directly as nina said
1: right wow i i just find all of this like, like before i even stepped into this techno world of of alex lab i i had no concept of of these things and i'm just blown away by um i guess the potential i get well firstly what's actually happening like what's really happening out there and mm. um and that we're just so naive like we just kind of bury our heads and we don't kind of think it's happening but uh you know being put into this space just realizing how big of a threat online child sexual exploitation is to our children and and the future harm um and and that's should be every parent's almost biggest concern like every everything is on the internet everything is online everything is social media um you know your self-generated material it's, it's so prevalent and it's so scary. So I, I guess that's the biggest thing, isn't it, it is everyone's just got this fear around it. So you kind of have two things. You can either try to learn about it or you hide from it. And I feel like most people just hide from it, right?
2: Am I right? Um, I, I, I think a lot of people think it's all a bit hard. Um, and the problem's hard, right? Yeah, the it's a big really problem. Like, so yeah, but, the more, but the more light we shine on it, the the um the clearer. Well the clearer offenders it is. are using this
1: technology, aren't they? Mm.
2: Mm.
1: And offenders are creating child abuse out of artificial intelligence.
2: Yep. Yeah. So I think so, one of the questions So if you if you look if you look at you know the you know, reports of you know the um uh, the, the international bodies that that take reports of, of online child abuse, um, or read stories in the newspaper about various arrests that are made, and that kind of thing. You know, the, you know, in, internationally we have tens of millions of images that have been you know report reported each each year. That uh, stuff that's reported. Um, the you know when when there's a raid or an arrest or or charges laid. Individuals tend to have can have thousands or tens of thousands of of, um, of images on their personal um, equipment. Um, those sort of dark web sites that where where communities of offenders get together and swap stuff. You know, again, we're talking hundreds of thousands or millions of images. So the, the volumes are just just mind-blowingly staggering. So anything we can do to help speed up. Um, the recognition and, and the discovery of this stuff, um, while uh, trying to protect um, our law enforcement officers at the same time, um, is uh, anything we can do is is just you know um, so necessary to you know attack attack this problem, um, which is why, as Nina said, that we are very focused on this particular part of the problem. The whole thing is actually a complex, wicked. We could issue. There's all kinds of things that could be done that people working, in, you know, in different parts of the world. But we find that this is a really important um, piece of work that hasn't been solved. And as Campbell said, is a is a really hard technical problem to solve.
3: Mm. And the people that aren't shying away from that technology, of course, are the kids. And um, mm-hmm. when you're talking about self-generated content, you know, the fact that they've got these ultra-high-resolution cameras connected 24-7 to all sorts of networks, all sorts of platforms, they're vulnerable to all sorts of um, threats and sextortion, as we know, is now a huge, huge problem. Um, the kids aren't shying away from from the use of the technology and, um, you know, I think this um, AI, in terms of... Um, generating generating content and um you know it used to be the case that uh that the probably the biggest place ai would be used in generating content would be kind of these filters right on on photos that make you look look better right i need Um, some of those and (laughs) everyone needs a good filter. Yeah, cat, cat ears. And, and, yeah, yeah. I really need yeah. one. But yeah, but I mean, so, you know, kids are kind of used to that. But now, now it's, um, you can do all sorts of things with an image and, and all sorts of horrible things and all sorts of um, uh, abusive things, you know, deep, deep fakes of um, just taking people's um, faces and po- pasting them onto other bodies, etc, and all sorts of things. But even potentially worse than that, generative AI, like, um, like these models that can generate images from, from text prompts that have been weaponized to generate uh, abusive images of children. Um, and, and the barrier to entry to that technology is so low. You know, people can just download these models and, and make use of them as they see fit with very, very little um, sort of guardrails in place at the moment. So this is, this is a huge concern.
1: You're starting to talk about things that I'm not fully over. <laughs> so it's deepfakes.
3: Okay. You're talking, so,
1: about, you're talking yeah. about images that are uh, just created from bits and pieces of other images and used yeah. for sexual purposes. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. So so fake images. Um, you know, you can produce realistic, very very realistic faked images of people in situations that they were never in and, you know, like pictures of yeah. the Pope in a puffer jacket and one you know, of these yeah. sort of famous yeah. examples and Donald Trump being, well, that's, uh, yeah, actually that's not unusual, is it? The Donald Trump <laughs> being arrested. No. One. Um, but the images were fake, were fake right?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I'm often talking to parents about not taking photographs of their children in the bathtub and things like that because uh, those images yeah. could be used for the purpose that you're... Talking yeah, about, but yeah, a lot of parents just yeah. have no idea that this is what's actually happening.
3: Yeah, but beyond beyond deep fake images, there are now. So so you're familiar with Chat GPT, for instance, which is a. Um, I know it's you're great. familiar with. Helps me write
1: stuff. But yeah, so so that's
3: so that's generating new text right from when you put in prompts. But there are other AI algorithms that generate completely new images just from text prompts. So you can type in, you know, I want an image of a a cat sunbathing on a beach or something, you know, some crazy concept. Um, But you can also modify these images, uh, not these images, these algorithms to generate abusive content from text as well. And that's what we're starting to see now. So um, this kind of, um, I guess, weaponizing of this sort of technology is is really, really becoming a huge problem. Um, law enforcement is very concerned about this because obviously if you're generating um, faked child exploitation material uh, and you cannot necessarily know whether or not there is a real victim involved or not, that's a huge problem. Um, for, for law enforcement um, and a huge problem for society in general.
1: Yeah, well, I think as I was talking to the esteemed John Rouse not so long ago, he was indicating obviously mm. that law enforcement would be chasing a, a victim child that doesn't exist. And the amount of resources and time that, you know, is put into trying to protect that child that they think exists when they don't is, is just something that... Mm-hmm need to work on very quickly um and and i guess i I think one of the questions is is can this technology can my pictures matter detect the difference between artificial intelligence uh, and images created using machine learning and real child sexual abuse material
2: well there's 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 two parts to that the first thing is that my pictures matter really is only about collecting the data collecting the source images that then used to build these capabilities, right? Right. So, so Nina and I are not data scientists and, you know, we're, we're not algorithm people, um, but we are very interested in information and, and data and, and that kind of thing. So my picture is not a project itself is the this consensual collection of data. Campbell um, and, and the other people in the lab, they're the ones that build these capabilities. And this... Um, you know, so those the, the primary question, is this an abusive image? Then the next question, is it an abusive image of a real person, right? Um, and that's the direction that we will have to go in to, to try and and, um, uh, and address the problem. But those, both of those questions, is this an abusive image and is this an image of a real person, are still technically today hard problems to solve, which is why we have great people in the lab, you know, working at this that are kind of leaning on Lena <laughs> and I to give them the data that, um, that they can use to actually build these capabilities.
1: All right. Well, I'm just going to put up a uh, QR code. So if anybody wants to contribute their pictures to the My Pictures Matter project, you can scan uh, the QR code there, and we will be waiting for your images. Um, <laughs> right. uh, but, we
2: want, just... but we won't know who you are. That's yeah,
1: great. Kel,
0: can I just can I jump no. in? I just like to to say to people that um, we really need a a, divi- a diverse range of images. So feel free to you know submit school photos or playing with the dog in the backyard or selfies, whatever it might be of yourself as a child. Um, If you're going to submit a photograph that has someone else in it as well, you need their permission to submit it and use it in this research project. And you'll actually get asked to kind of tick a box to to verify um, each face in the image and confirm that it's either yourself or if it's someone else that you have their permission. Um, so I just wanted to qualify qualify that, um, and we're most interested in in the in the children in, who are um, pictured. So photographs of yourself, but share more than one image if you can. That'd be fantastic. You know, contribute an image of yourself at two years old and at seven years old and at twelve years old. You know, um, and in yeah, different situations and. And also, yeah, just want to emphasise that if you happen to change your mind and not feel comfortable about this down the track, you can contact the project at any time and ask us, request that your image be removed um, and we will do that, like no questions asked. You don't have to say because X, Y, Z. You just say I shared this photo um, and I would like now like it taken out of the system and we will do that, so...
1: yeah Yeah. and just to be really clear because i know i've seen a couple of comments on previous my pictures Matter, you know calls for for photos and things is you're not after any images that are showing or depicting any sexual imagery it is just photographs of you doing normal childhood things so that the machine can learn what a normal childhood photo looks like and and more than that
0: tell it's not just that it's not showing not we don't want abusive images but in fact Similar to what you were saying about parents, you know, not taking photos of the kids in the bath. We, we don't want photos that have child nudity either. We, we, you know, we want benign images of of childhood. So we really want to be able to help an algorithm to, as Campbell has indicated, learn what the concept of a child, what features make a child. Um, yeah, so that. That's kind of, yeah, really important. Thank you, Kel. Please, no no images of nudity <laughs> or abuse or illegal behaviours of any kind. You know, we just, just nice. Uh, mm-hmm. But not nice, actually, because diversity, they don't have to be happy, happy snaps either. I mean, uh, there's not a lot of age that has me as a, looking like a very surly 16-year-old, you know, snarling at the camera. So, you know, don't feel that you have to have a big smile on your face. Um, we want photos with big smiles on the face, but we also, you know, want, want other photos where your kids are looking bored or angry or upset, you know. Um, we do need a lot of diversity for, for this to, to work the best possible way it can.
1: I just can't imagine you as a surly teenager, Nina. That was a very early teenager. <laughs> um, awesome. So, all right. Uh, I just want there's a couple of questions here. We, we'll just answer those. Um, we did mention already whether or not um, this could identify real versus AI generated children. Um, so, is there anything further you want to add to that?
3: So that, that is a really, really hard problem. It, it, I know I keep saying this, they're all hard problems, but, but that, that problem of detecting AI generated content is getting more and more difficult as the algorithms that generate that content become more sophisticated. So in the early days of deep fakes and in the early days of um, these, what are called diffusion models that generate images from text, you know, you could almost spot just just by looking at an image that it was potentially a fake image. Um, a, f- a famous uh, problem that those image generation algorithms had was with fingers and toes, and they would generate very strange looking fingers and toes or people would have, you know, well fingers. And, and um, uh, they're getting much more sophisticated. So it's harder and harder for human beings to determine whether or not an image is generated by AI. To do it algorithmically, to get a machine to work out whether it's generated by AI, there are some techniques you can use, um, but it's going to be a little bit of an arms race. So as the technology to generate these things gets more sophisticated, researchers are going to have to move very quickly on the detection algorithms. And at the moment, I think the generation algorithms are kind of winning out. It's really, really difficult. Um, There are some things that the the companies that develop these generation algorithms could do to be a little bit more responsible here. They could embed invisible sort of watermarking into these generated AI images that are not visible to the naked eye, but which could be detected by an algorithm. Um, That's only sort of being done very patchily at the moment and it might take some sort of regulation for people to be, uh, for companies to be forced to do that sort of thing. Um, but the problem is that computer science research moves so fast and the natural inclination is to open source a lot of this technology so that the community can continue to develop it. And as soon as you open source things, the first thing malicious users would take out is the code that would generate those sort of watermarks. So again, it's a bit of an arms race. So hard, hard problem. I'll
2: just I'll say it again, you know, Basecamp is getting the data, getting the collection of images to start building these things, and, and that's what my pictures is about: is getting getting to Basecamp, getting getting our hundred thousand photos that we can sit um, down and, and start to. And whatever whatever challenge the technology throws up is to have the data at our fingertips, so we can actually be you know building the next tool that's not needed. Sorry, Kelly, yeah. I interrupted.
1: No, no, no. You're right. I was just gonna say, like, I just I worry so much for our children. I I worry so much for just our next generation. And honestly, like, what what we're up against, um, you know. And as I said in the beginning, is AI is not going anywhere. It's just getting. We can't ignore the fact that it's you know every day it's in everything it's 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 going to be in all of our processing in our transactions in our you know all all over social media it's a we cannot escape it so we have to embrace it and be able to use it as as Campbell said fight fire with fire um but it it does concern me uh you know I've worked in schools for a long time as a police officer and I, I know what kids are like with their phones and you know I have a 16 and a 14-year-old stepchild and uh, you just can't escape this and i am I'm so concerned for our next generation but i i have hope when i get to spend my time with you guys and and people in the child protection space who i know who are working so hard um to try to fight against this so i, I just want to acknowledge you guys for the work that you are doing because i know it's hard and i know you're coming up against some very ethical uh debates and some big questions around artificial intelligence how it's being used um, and and privacy and, you know, people that don't really know much that are saying a lot of things and you're having to, you know, navigate this whole new space and and, and it's tough. It's tough being a trailblazer. So I appreciate the work you're doing. Um, so I'll, I'll just pop the QR code back up again really briefly. But I wanted to um, sneak in a little question, Campbell, and I don't know what secrets you can reveal from the lab, uh, potentially what other secret squirrel projects you might be up to that you can share about, because I think some of the work that the lab is doing is just so cool and revolutionary and things I've never heard of. So I think it might be very interesting to maybe plug the Alex lab a little bit and talk about some of the things you're doing.
3: Yeah, Sure. Thanks. Um, well, we've got a few projects on the go. Um, just <clears throat> not all the projects are related to child exploitation. Um, but there, there is another one actually that is, that is related. Um, so we've been talking a lot tonight about image classification, you know, detecting child exploitation images. But another big part of the picture is to discover um, how the networks of distribution of this material work, um, in particular on the dark web. Um, so, what that means is we're seeking to understand um, how these images are distributed, you know, what those networks look like, what sort of language is used in those networks of distribution, and the point of trying to understand all of that sort of thing is to, I guess, try and help law enforcement get on the front foot in terms of disrupting those networks. So, you know, when you've got a very large um network of people on on the dark web for instance you know you're likely to have sort of key players in that that network that are the key distributors and how do you most quickly find those points in the network to disrupt that network so that that's an interesting sort of algorithmic problem so we've got got projects working along those lines (laughs) yeah well it's Um, it's,
2: it's, it's it's like yeah it's like following the messages and following the money and just trying to figure out, you know, who's talking to who and who's sending stuff to who and who's paying for it and all of that, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff to try mm-hmm. and figure out um, if law enforcement is going to act. Where's the best place for them to act and what's the most effective thing for them to do?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, i was Kel. Gonna say.
1: So the projects that the Alex Lab is doing is, is – I didn't put the website for Alex up there, but um, <laughs> I should have done.
3: Alex.org.
1: <laughs> yep, A-I-L-E-C-S.org uh, um, for – yes, all the projects I think are, yeah. are on the website.
3: They're, the they're all listed there, yeah.
1: Yeah. Can you tell us about any more really briefly? We've got a couple of minutes, so.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, another one I think which is really interesting, which um, – Greg's certainly been involved with, is um, the issue of explainability of artificial intelligence. So what I mean by that is, well, how do you explain this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I was
1: was gonna ask you.
3: uh, This is, you know, this this is a hard thing. And and particularly, you know, if it gets to the point in courts where we're starting to think more about the use of algorithms in in courts and, you know, having to justify the use of an algorithm and um, AI was used in the apprehension of someone or it helped to disrupt a network. How do you explain how that technology works to the judiciary, to judges, to juries? You know, How do you visualise the results to present to people? How do you even come up with text explanations of how the algorithm worked? Um, so, so we've got a lot of work on that, on the explainability. Um, lots of other things. One one of the other ones we're working on in particular is um, classifying firearms very quickly. So if police see a firearm in an image, we need an algorithm that can determine very quickly not just that that's a pistol or a long arm or something, but it's a particular type of firearm, particular model of firearm. It's a very fine-grained right. image classification, that's another one. but. Um, yeah, people can have a look at the website. There's a, there's a lot of things we've, we've got going. We're running, we're running very fast at the moment in the lab trying to keep up with ourselves.
1: I know. And we haven't <laughs> even talked about our project, but we're going to have another yeah. podcast, I reckon, and uh, yeah. jump on and talk about the uh, survivor's perspectives yeah. on the institutional use of child sexual abuse material. So that's the project that myself, uh, Campbell, Nina and uh, Greg and uh, the amazing Carol Ronkin from Bravehearts, um is uh delving into at the moment which is um just in its very uh, infancy to getting started but it's um it's all fantastic it, like i said i'm just learning so much from you guys but um i'll just quickly there's just two more questions um and nina i'll throw them over to you the deadline for submitting the photos
0: look it's an open call we don't actually have a, a deadline um essentially we have a a big target of 100,000 images, um, but we don't have to wait until we get to 100,000 images before we'll have a large enough data set to start working with. Um, so essentially we intend to kind of addition off, um, you know, say when we hit 5,000 images, we'll create a, a small working data set and and begin with that Um so there's really no deadline. As long as if you go to mypicturesmatter.org and the website is up, you can submit your photos. Um, really encourage people to to jump on board um, sooner rather than later. And also, please share the campaign and the website with with your networks um, and encourage people to take a look and consider if if they're comfortable sharing some photos as well. Um, but there is no no deadline. We welcome photos on an ongoing basis.
1: Awesome. And then the last question is just um, how many years do you keep the photos uh, if they are to be used in other research? But you said something about consent about that anyway, right? Yeah, look, that's that's actually a really <laughs> good question. Um, we haven't, again, we haven't
0: set a firm deadline about we will hold the data set for this amount of time because we don't really know how long we're going to be collecting images for. We don't know whether, yeah, we'll be asking, going out and asking people for permission for other projects. Um, but what I would say is that if at any time you don't want your photograph to be in that data set anymore, you can contact us and we will remove it. Um, so what, we, what won't happen is if, if um, an algorithm has been trained on that data, that algorithm will still be out there doing its its job the you know in research or law enforcement but um, but we will delete your photograph from the data set and it won't be used subsequently we won't hold that photograph anymore so
2: and we won't use it for any other purpose um, unless we ask you first so
1: yeah and i think that's really good that and and i'm actually really Excited. So essentially
0: yeah. how long are we keeping the photographs for as long as you give us permission to be able yeah. to use the photographs?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, I just I just love that you guys are a world first in ethically being able to source these images because I do find it kind of concerning as a survivor myself, um, you know, looking at the fact that around consent and, and having some sort of control uh, around this and obviously with our project, the survivors' perspectives on the institutional use is... Is looking at um, you know empowering survivors through that process, and I just think it's so great that you're able to do this in this ethical way. Where there's a lot of organisations out there that are just, as like you said, data scraping, and that is a little bit concerning. So I just think this is fantastic. I think it's a great initiative. I'm just going to chuck up the hash, to uh, the uh, what's that? A QR code? Bloody hell! Um, uh, again, guys. So if you can uh, submit your pictures, um, uh, there's a code there at mypicturesmatter.org um thank you guys so much for uh jumping on tonight and being uh part of off the couple with kel if anyone has struggled with tonight's content or found it triggering please head to my website kellyhumphreys.com there's some support numbers there um or just reach out to me that's fine uh
2: but guys thank you campbell greg thank you. nina thank, thank you kelly for having us on and letting us talk about our stuff yeah it's been
0: that's a pleasure right. joining you and um
1: and your podcast
2: listeners
1: this evening thank you thanks Kel. thanks guys all right um and we'll see you guys in a fortnight's time thank you for joining us and guys any other questions drop in the feed and i will answer them i promise all right thanks guys see you next week thank you so much for being part of off the cuff with kel breaking cycles of abuse and trauma is not something that can be done alone and requires all of us working together your support makes a huge difference. If you've found the content of this podcast valuable, you can support my work through my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can also find me on all major social media platforms. Through my website, kellyhumphreys.com, you can contact me for speaking in workshops as well as purchase my first book, Unscathed Beauty. If you've found any of the content today distressing, please reach out to appropriate support agencies in your country. For emergencies, contact your local law enforcement agency.